Welcome to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Mike Britton, and I'm an editorial director here at IHI. I'll be filling in for host Madge Kaplan on today's show. 100 million people living healthier lives by 2020. 100 million. Not 1 million, not 10 million, not even 50 million, but 100 million. The goal when you first hear it is daunting. In a way, it sounds abstract, something someone hangs on a wall and then looks at for inspiration every once in a while. But the goal, and the work to get there, is very concrete. For nearly two years, this unprecedented collaboration of change agents across sectors, convened by IHI, has been changing the world in meaningful ways. Hundreds of communities around the world are working with kids, veterans, and elders on move-the-needle priorities like nutrition, mental health, and equity, which is the price of admission to 100 million healthier lives. How is the work going? Come to think of it, what exactly does healthier mean? How do you even start measuring 100 million people? And, and, and how can those answers to those questions help you in your daily work as a leader in your organization? That's what we'll discuss today on WIHI 100 Million Healthier Lives from Vision to Reality. Our expert panel, who we'll meet in just a moment, will walk us through the first two years of the project and give us a glimpse into its future. We'll start by hearing the ongoing journey of one community, Proviso Partners for Health, then move to a sampling of highlights and upcoming priorities. We'll finish the first half of our hour together by exploring how you can get involved and use the myriad resources being created every day. Then, as always, we'll turn to you, our WIHI listeners, to share your questions and reflections. For those, of new, for those of you who are new to WIHI, welcome. This is the Institute for Healthcare Improvement's online audio talk show, which we offer live, bi-weekly, and after the show via IHI.org and iTunes. On this program, we lean into cutting-edge innovation and bold ideas that are improving health and healthcare around the world. And 100 million healthier lives, well, that's about as bold and audacious as it gets. I'm eager to get started, but before we dive in and meet our guests, here's IHI's John Gothier to let listeners know how they can make their most of their time with us today. John? All right, Mike, thanks. Uh, just a few items to point out to help everybody make the most of today's program. On the right of the screen is your chat window. If you've tuned into WIHI before, you know about the great conversation that takes place in the chat. It's also where you can ask our panelists your questions, so make sure that your questions and comments are directed to all participants when Mike opens up the floor to questions. This allows our panelists and your colleagues on WebEx to see all the questions and comments being shared. Now, there are a few ways that people have connected to WIHI today. If you're logged onto the computer and listen to the program by streaming audio coming through speakers or your headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner labeled Audio Broadcast. If you're listening on a less reliable Internet connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. If you experience any audio issues, please send a quick message to the host in the chat. A simple solution to any audio hiccups may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play. If that problem persists, please let the folks at IHI Customer Service know. We have their number on the screen right now. Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slides, I've provided a direct download link in the chat. Tomorrow, they'll be posted at our archive over at IHI.org slash WIHI, along with today's chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by the guests. You can also email info at IHI.org, and they will send them your way. And finally, we're always looking for ways to improve the listener experience here on WIHI. Please take the time after the program to fill out our very quick survey and let us know how we've done. Back to you, Mike. Thank you, John. So again, we'll turn to the chat and your comments and questions at about the halfway mark of the show. We welcome tweeting during and after the program. Thanks for including at the IHI and the hashtag WIHI in your tweets so we can capture the conversation on social media and engage with other followers. And for today's show, please also use the hashtag 100MLives to engage that group. Now, let's meet our expert panelists. First, we're going to turn to our experts on the phone. Laura Brennan is a co-chair of the 100 Million Healthier Lives Leadership Team and, direct, and director of the Pathway for Paysetter program. She has supported communities throughout the United States for more than 20 years, creating coordinated systems of care that ensure better health for all people at lower costs. Laura is committed to meaningful engagement of all stakeholders, including those who are most impacted by the existing systems of care. Laura's passion for justice, equity, and culturally competent health and social services has inspired and guided her to be involved with several valuable efforts, including serving on the Board of Directors of Communities Joined in Action and prior positions at President of the Oregon Public Health Association and Co-Chair of the American Diabetes Association Statewide Cultural Diversity Committee. Welcome to the show, Laura. 
a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Great. Uh, next up, we have uh, Drew Martin. So Drew is the Executive Director of Proviso Partners for Health, a health equity-focused coalition in the Chicago area. PP4H has quickly become a symbol of partnership. And what happens when shared design and shared leadership is at the core of an organization? An organization. The mission of PP4H is to create a sustainable path toward health equity while preparing our communities for jobs and the green economy. Drew, who is also on the leadership team of 100 Million Healthier Lives, also sits on the advisory boards for the Empowerment Institute Livable Neighborhoods Project, the Institute of Alternative Futures Equity and Prosperity Project, and the Health Impact Collaborative of Cook County. Welcome to the show, Drew. Thanks a lot, Michael. Appreciate you having us. Great. And with Drew uh, is Shanika L. Blanton, the Director of Curriculum Development and Assessment at Ramasut Academy of Higher Learning in Chicago. Uh, and welcome to the show, Shanika. We look forward to your participation as well. Thank you. And here with me in our Cambridge office on another sweltering summer day, uh, we have Marianne McPherson, the director of 100 Million Healthier Lives Implementation here at IHI. Marianne finds joy in work through developing and implementing new programs, building external partnerships, and supporting a culture of unprecedented collaboration. She is passionate about building relationships and applying diverse methods and frameworks to address complex social problems related to improving population health and promoting equity. Marianne received her master's from, uh, in public health from Harvard School of Public Health, her MA in women's and gender studies from Brandeis University, and her PhD in social policy from the Heller School also at Brandeis University. Thank you for being here, Marianne. Thanks, Mike. I'm joy in work is happening right now. Thanks. Wonderful. <laughs> Love, glad to hear. Uh, and we're fortunate to have uh, two other experts with us on chat today that will chime in throughout. Thanks to Dr. Shoma Stout, Executive Lead, 100 Million Healthier Lives, and Dr. Hannah Sherman, Co-Chair, 100 Million Healthier Lives Leadership Team, and Program Co-Director for Health and Healthcare at the Center for Courage and Renewal. So thanks to both of you uh, for popping up in the chat throughout the uh, throughout our hour together. So with that, let's get started. And what better way to start than with a story, right? So let's 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 turn it over to, to Drew and Shanika. Drew, tell us a little bit more about your community's work within 100 Million Healthier Lives, how you got involved, and, and, and what you guys have accomplished so far. Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, especially thank you for calling me an expert. I feel like I need a bigger office <laughs> well, my ego. So. We'll work on that. So uh, Proviso Partners for Health is one of the um, – really privileged to be one of the 24 uh, scale communities um, with the initial uh, scale grant um, through IHI and uh, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Um, we are a multi-sector coalition of promote equity through stewardship of a cradle-to-career model by accessing resources and supporting leadership needed to increase overall health and well-being. Uh, we're very proud of our multi-sector. Uh, we're, we're led by um, our, our visionary lead, uh, which is uh, Dr. Lena Hatchett from Loyola Medical School, um, also Armin Andrioni from Loyola University Health System, and um, Joanne Cooper, who is a Ph.D. and a, and a um, nursing instructor, a nursing professor at Loyola Nursing School, who's a, a big part of the story I'm going to tell. Um, so Proviso Partners, we, 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 um, we serve the near west suburbs and the west side of Chicago. And unfortunately, Chicago has been in the news for not so many great things. Um, it was great to see a product of Chicago do well on uh, last night in the Democratic National Convention, so that was a <laughs> good highlight of Chicago. But unfortunately, that's, that's, that's uh, one, one too few these times. So um, the vision has always been there for, for Proviso Partners. Um, the steps in education needed for the vision to manifest has not always been present. Um, for us, one of our initiatives is, is food access. So wanting youth within the local high schools to have access to healthier lunch items during school isn't a new idea. Yet my team never made it past the idea. A year ago, we approached the food service team led by um, uh, Dr. Joanne Kuba, um, who runs a, um, a school wellness committee and a school clinic within the uh, local high school here, here in um, Maywood, Illinois. Um, a year ago, we approached the food service team with the idea of having a salad station in the school. Um, so we heard the typical lines from, from, from them, uh, been there, done that, 
Kids don't want that. They don't want to eat it. They don't want nutrition. So we accepted that. Um, as we have been accustomed to accepting most limiting beliefs about our community. But shortly after that, something amazing happened. Proviso Partners for Health became a scale community. So in our, in our initial CHILA, which is our, which is our, our, our first conference we had as, as a, as a um, coalition where we get a chance to the other three, 23 coalitions nationwide, we met in, and we met just outside of Boston, and uh, we learned three valuable lessons that, over those four days. First, the people you are hoping to change must be the same people leading for change. We also learned that co-design and shared leadership will ensure the community has what it needs, but most importantly, it has what it wants. And most importantly, I think, choose initiatives that have measurable impact and can be scaled up um, in the future. So we returned excited. Uh, we embarked on a journey last summer with 15 high school students, uh, leaders in their high school, and they started an urban garden. And then they took what they learned up to school that next school year, beginning a new health initiative called Palantra. And they joined teams in their school like the Lunch Bunch and the Food Access Committee. So through taste tests, surveys, and grassroots advocacy, our youth proved that kids do want that stuff. And it shifted the been there, done that mentality to let's fail forward together and promote continuous action. So March 1st, 2016, a grab-and-go salad station was placed right in the middle of the school cafeteria. Two and a half months later, now we must say Shanika and myself and some of my team, we were a little scared. You know, we made a, we made a, a decent investment using some of our scale funds of about $1,200 to purchase this grab-and-go. Um, so, we were, you know, we were... We had um, we set audacious aims, but we had very limited uh, uh, beliefs about how it was going to work. Mm -hmm. Surprise! Two and a half months later, more than 4,500—that's 4,500 salads—have wow. been by the high school students, and that's only two and a half months, far exceeding our goal. So, in the tradition of IHI, we are now actively PDSAing. <laughs> Fill up our project. I'm going to turn it over to Shanika. Yeah, so the wonderful thing about our goal to scale up um, was that the company that was in charge of serving the food in the high school initially had been extremely resistant. We couldn't even get them eating. They were the gatekeepers, and it was just really a point at which we were stuck. But as we got past that, um, as Drew explained, and we um, were able to institute the grab-and-go, now we were being enthusiastically asked, how can we get these grab-and-go salad bars into more schools? So we went from a point of resistance to full engagement. And because of the success, we weren't really surprised, but what did surprise us was their next request. So, you know, in a meeting last week, um, the, the same person we couldn't even get to come to a meeting now came and had just a litany of um, challenges that they wanted help with around demand and making the food more appealing. And essentially what it is is that um, the school has become 100% um, began to offer 100% free breakfast and lunch through the National School Lunch Program. Uh -huh. They're having challenges. Because, as you know, the USDA guidelines um, call for things like whole grains, you know, and more fruits and vegetables. And so um, many of the students, when they see the brown macaroni, the whole grain macaroni versus the white macaroni, like, I don't I'm not eating this. And so, um, you know, he said the school, the parents are complaining to the school board, the school board is complaining to me. And he witnessed how we PDSA'd our, um, our grab-and-go salad. So we, we did the taste testing. We got the, the students' feedback. We said, you know, wh what do you prefer? You know, what appeals to you? We also engaged them around marketing. Um, a lot of the feedback was like, use social media. So all of those things, you know, now they want to, um, they're <laughs> actively at the table and saying, can you help us? And it's it's just been great to see how the tools that we learned through scale and us all putting our heads together have um, just strengthened this relationship so that we can um, put even more fruits and vegetables in the schools and allow the kids to have healthier food.
That's wonderful. It's a great story. It's such important work. Thank you so much for sharing that, guys. And we'll we'll hear from you more later in the show. Uh, and now let's use Proviso's narrative as a bit of a leaping off point, Mary. And let's take a step back, hear more about what's been happening in the first 18 months of this really ambitious work. And I'm wondering, can you give us some highlights uh, just really from the 100 Million Healthier Lives work? I would be delighted to. Thank you. And I am sitting here just beaming from ear to ear because the best part of my job is being able to connect with people like Drew and Shanika and the work that they are doing every day. And they are two incredible champions who represent a network of right now over 800 members and partners who in turn already reach over 100 million people worldwide. And so um, so I'm excited and delighted to be able to share a little bit of that. The bold goal of 100 million people living healthier lives by 2020 is actually only a milepost on the way to the vision that we are ultimately working to achieve, and that is to fundamentally transform the way we think and act to improve health, well-being, and equity. And the story that we just heard from Drew and Shanika about what's happening in their community is already reflecting that. From them, you are hearing coming to life an example of what we call a community of solutions. You heard them speak to some of the challenges facing their community, certainly. And more importantly, you heard them share about the way that their community unlocked the solutions and tapped into the potential that existed within their own residents, within their own leaders, and within their own youth. So in 100 Million Healthier Lives, what we're trying to do is help make it easier for communities and healthcare systems and individuals all around the world to become part of what we call communities of solution, just like Proviso. Uh And the snapshots on the screen, if you can see them, are examples from other communities working all around the world, um, and particularly from the SCALE program and the Pathway to Pace Setter program within the 100 Million Healthier Lives family. Um, But there are a lot of others within that family. You can learn much more about who they are and where they are on our interactive map of the movement. And I've included a screenshot if you're on the slides, but it's at 100mlives.org slash map. In the time that we've launched in since October of 2014, uh, the movement has welcomed over 800 members in more than 15 countries worldwide and growing. And if you're looking to find someone working on an issue that you care about or in a neighboring state or community, you can find them on the map learning about who they are, where in the world they're working, and what matters to them. What are the pieces of the puzzle that they hold to create health, well-being, and equity? So how does this all happen? Um, We like to describe our special sauce via a three-part theory of change. And it goes something like this. Um, Unprecedented collaboration plus innovative improvement plus system transformation, we believe will get us closer to and hopefully to achieve 100 million people living healthier lives by 2020. And I'll try to break that down and provide an example in each of those three categories. So first, unprecedented collaboration. The goal of 100 million by 2020 was chosen precisely because it would be nearly impossible for any single organization or single initiative to achieve it alone. We chose it exactly because we believe that the only way to get there is to work in partnership across traditional sectors, across silos, and deeply in partnership with people with lived experience. And you heard Drew and Shanika speak to that. That is working in leadership at every step of the way with people who are experiencing or have experienced the challenges that an initiative or a community is working to overcome, whether that's homelessness, whether that's food access, whether that's parenting a child with special health care needs across a fragmented system. So our members, as you've heard me describe, may be individual change agents working within their community. They may represent an organization, a healthcare system, or an initiative, or they may be representatives of their community, again, working on their specific piece of the puzzle, and we use that puzzle piece metaphor uh-huh, a lot, uh-huh. to transform health, well-being, and equity. IHI is the convening organization for 100 million healthier lives, and that means that part of its contribution is supporting things like the implementation team on which I work, some core funding for the startup of some of our key tech supports, and convenings for our members to come together. The second part of our equation is that of innovative improvement. And I like to describe this by by sharing a way that I think that one of the things about 100 Million Healthier Lives that's somewhat unique is that it is both very broad and, and very targeted and specific at the same time. 
So what I mean by that is on the one hand, we are a big tent in terms of the topics and populations that matter to our members. When somebody joins the movement, they share with us what matters to them, where they're working. And members are working on a vast array of specific topics and challenges. We embrace that. We believe that that is necessary to achieve such a bold aim. Um, and part of the unprecedented collaboration is that we have groups of leaders working around the world who are experts, um, experts traditionally defined and experts with lived experience along a variety of those topic areas. We distribute leadership and they serve as examples of what's possible in those areas. So that's the big tent. But here's where the specific supports come in. Um, we aim to provide tools and supports that help our members improve exactly what they need, exactly where they are, exactly for whom they serve and when they need it. And, and one part of how we do that is through a very specific framework that we describe as a leadership framework. Um, and it's described in four ways. The first is leading from within, and that speaks to specific tools and skills that one might need to be a change leader on this journey. The second is leading together, and that speaks to the unprecedented collaboration aspect and what are our tools to be able to effectively work across silos and embrace true partnership with those with lived experience. The third is leading for outcomes, and for those who are connected to and know a lot about quality improvement, it's about aim setting and how do you measure and how do you use data to learn as you go? Because as Drew referenced, we take 100 million not as a goal to hang on the wall, as you noted, Mike, but as a true goal to which we are measuring. And then at the core of all of that is leading for equity. We like to ask questions in 100 million to guide our work. And when we think about equity, which we do call the price of admission and we live into that, we ask the question of who isn't thriving and how can we change that? So within that framework, we provide tools and supports for people to advance on their improvement journey. And then another way that we try to find, provide specific support is to share tools and resources to help our members make their work visible, to find others like on the interactive map, to learn from data over time, and to find and learn from bright spots that are achieving success or improvement stories of how people are overcoming challenges in a neighboring community or half a world away. Finally, that third element in the theory of change is system transformation. One of the things that we know is that in order to transform systems, we also have opportunities to transform how it is we measure things like health, well-being, and equity. I noted that a lot of our work is guided by key questions, and for measurement, actually for the initiative overall and for measurement, the question we ask is whose life, whose lives are getting better because we are here? So to do that, our metrics team has developed an overall conceptual framework, common measures, common instruments, and scoring guidance that we think are relevant across that whole big tent, no matter what specific issue we're working on, as well as a menu of measures to support communities to evaluate local initiatives, measuring the specific things that members need tailored to what they're doing. And you can see that on one of the slides I have up. Broadly, we consider three major dimensions of health and well-being, equity, and sustainability. We recognize that measurement is needed at multiple levels, the individual level, the community level, and at the level of the whole population. On the individual level, we defined healthier lives in terms of well-being adjusted life years, or WALLYs, not the robot, but this acronym, and that's defined <laughs> as one year of life lived in perfect well-being. It's a composite measure. It takes into account both the quality of life and the length or quantity of life. But counting healthier lives also requires understanding how individual level measures of health and well-being and equity improve as various of those specific initiatives are underway. So communities in that big 100 million healthier lives tent are measuring and working across all of these topics. And so the measurement framework allows for tracking of what we call leading indicators from various community or topic specific metrics alongside those general metrics of health, well-being, and equity. Our incredible metrics team has scoured the literature to develop this framework, and they've done significant testing with communities and co-development with communities. So I certainly can't do it justice here, but we've got a bunch of resources on our website and a detailed report for data geeks like me. Um, and we've got a newly launched uh, Measure What Matters platform that I've got a screenshot for that allows for tracking of all of that so that any member community, initiative, or individual can specify what their aim is, where they are working. They can literally draw a circle around or put in their zip code or county or region um, and what they're measuring so that in true quality improvement fashion, they can be using data to learn and improve. And on this website at 100mlives.org measure, you can watch a quick four-minute demo video to show you how it works. 
So there's a 50,000-foot flyover. Wow. That was great. Thank you for doing that so uh, so quickly. Um, Laura, I'm going to turn it to you next. In, in, in the next five minutes or so, can, can you kind of give us a vision of what's next? What can we expect in the next couple months, the next couple of years? Where, where are we going from here? Absolutely. I and I want to thank Shanika and Drew and Marianne for all they've shared so far. So really, what's ahead? I have the opportunity in the next five minutes or so to talk about three areas um, that I'd like to highlight and we'd like to highlight. And really, they're, they're bright spots, if you will. They're early glimmers that something's going right within the 100 million healthier lives movement as we go on this journey to get to 100 million healthier lives by 2020. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the spreading of community solutions, uh, which Marianne alluded to, a little bit about healthcare systems on their journey to population health, and supporting other key initiatives. Um, we are not, it's not just about what we're bringing to the table as 100 million, but it's learning about what others are doing out in the world and how we can best support them and accelerate their journey to meet their aims. So the first thing I'd like to talk about and invite you to consider and, and look over and spread the word to others that you think might benefit from and be interested in the Pathway to Paysetter program. So the Pathway to Paysetter program, I affectionately call the sister program to spreading community accelerators through learning and evaluation, which is the scale initiative that Drew and Shanika talked about earlier, generously supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. So we're on this mission to support at least a thousand communities worldwide to promote health, well-being, and equity and to ensure their efforts are sustained. And some of the components of the Pathway to Paysetter program, you can see the link, um, so you can check out even more information about it, and we're launching our second wave of this initiative, is really delving into some of the improvement science tools and methodologies that so many of you on this webinar and so many of our friends and colleagues at IHO, IHI have incredible, incredible expertise, wealth of expertise on improvement science tools and methods and how to apply them. And in addition to the improvement science, really community organizing and development strategies, how we all, as I say, are part of the problem and we all need to work together to be part of the solution and we all hold a piece of the puzzle to be part of that solution. So how can we organize ourselves, people within our own organizations, within, our, within other organizations and throughout the community, really organize ourselves so we can promote health, well-being, and equity. Leadership development techniques, the Pathway to Paysetter program focuses a great deal on that. Much peer-to-peer -peer learning, what's working, what's not. We ask everyone in the Pathway to Paysetter program to share the good, the bad, the ugly. We want to learn about what's working and what's not so we can really, really get to 100 million by 2020. Coaches and facilitators are available for uh, organizations and coalitions participating in the Pathway to Pay Setter program. We have a certificate program that delves into, again, the improvement science, leadership development, community organizing. We have a great face-to-face -face learning opportunities as well as networking opportunities, and we're all committed to failing forward together. So, and Marianne talked about this. Really, I ground myself with these questions every day, and I encourage others to do so as well. We really focus, this, uh, focus all of our work in P2P, as I affectionately call the Pathway to Pace Better Program. So leading for, and I'd like to add with equity, who isn't thriving, and what will it take for that to change? Leading for outcomes, whose lives are getting better because we're here, and how will we know that? Leading together, how can I engage and partner with stakeholders, including people with lived experience, those most impacted by the current efficiencies and inefficiencies in our current systems of care? And how can we build a community solution? And last but certainly not least, leading from within, regardless of my role, what can I do to facilitate true transformation that will promote health, well-being, and equity? That's great. So... 
our goal is to engage. I want to take it, talk a little a bit about um, the healthcare systems hub. So our goal is to engage 2,000 healthcare systems on their journey to population health by 2020. And really the purpose of the health systems hub is to create, as we talked about earlier, an unprecedented collaboration of support systems that can help health systems and providers make this transformation and this transition to population health. How can we engage a critical mass of health systems on our journey to population health and create an oasis of supports that meets health systems where they're at and supports them to move forward and accelerate in their efforts? So the broad approach is really depicted quite well, I think, on this slide, and there's definitely more information on the 100 Million Healthier Lives website. So we have partners, including representatives, from our friends at the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, America's Essential Hospitals, the Public Health Institute, Health Begins, and others. And actually, they just convened yesterday, I believe it was yesterday, recently, at a design day hosted by the National Academy of Medicine to continue to build the momentum on this journey to population health. And if you're interested in learning more or connecting with the health Care System Transformation Hub, please reach out to 100 million. Reach out. Marianne probably could uh, be, would be a wonderful person to provide even additional information. And I'd say the third bright spot that I'd like to call your attention to, again, we talked about it's often in 100 million, we want to support the amazing ideas and the work of others, and we're not always about leading and coming up with our own ideas. So the third area to highlight is our work to launch and support key initiatives in partnership with others, and in this case, the Office um, of the Surgeon General, to turn the tide, turn the tide, and this is near and dear to my heart, both personally and professionally, on the opioid crisis. Um, I lost uh, my 19-year-old nephew six years ago uh, oh, due to the so opioid sorry. crisis. Oh, thank you, and we've learned a lot, and I'm committed to really spreading the word about the amazing work that the, office, the Surgeon General's office is leading. Oh. Hundred million healthier lives is supporting the whole community to come together to address this opioid epidemic. And on our website, there are many free tools and resources and bright spots on how to achieve success so we can turn this tide that's so greatly needed in partnership with content experts, including many of the 100 Million Healthier Lives uh, people, organizations, leaders, and systems, our behavioral health and wellness hub leaders in the IHI innovation team, we've developed a driver diagram for turning the tide, which is depicted on this slide. Um, if you can nominate, I encourage you to check out the website, the 100 Million website, and check out those tools, and you can actually nominate additional tools and resources by an interactive link. If you have identified a bright spot in your community, something that's showing a great deal of promise, by all means, share your experiences, share these bright spots, share your tools and resources. And we created a free community improvement toolkit that takes you through step-by-step step how to take action in your community to turn the tide. That's great. Thank so you. with so, that. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And so let's, um, just in the last few minutes of the presentation portion of our show here, Marianne, I just want to turn back over to you. And, and Laura touched on this a little bit, but a little bit more about how listeners can get involved in this great work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you. There are... Uh, as many ways as Laura described and more, and it's one of the things that I love to talk about most. So I will try to be concise so that we can get to Q&A. Um, I will say that sort of the portal to getting involved, the easiest way is to come to our website at 100mlives.org or to email us at 100mlives at ihi.org so that we can connect you in various ways. We invite anyone and everyone to consider joining the movement. It's easy to do. There's a brief survey that you fill out to let us know who you are, what the piece of the puzzle is that matters to you. We ask everyone um, as a member who joins to share our commitment on working as working on equity as the price of admission. 
Um, and on our website and through joining, and actually you don't have to join to get access to many of the free resources available, like the map of the movement. But once you join, you then become visible to others so that you can find one another. There are toolkits. The metrics platform is there. We have a shared calendar so that people can tell us what's going on in their community, be that an in-person event or a webinar or a virtual event. We are continuing to build out resource libraries that are aligned with the key topical and methods priorities that matter to our members. And you can connect with key initiatives like the Turn the Tide on Opioid Initiative or that of Health Equity and Prosperity, for which we are building a lot of momentum and having a major kickoff event next week in Maryland. Um, it Actually, the registration for that event closes tonight at midnight. It's a free event with limited space available. And through our website, we welcome people to, to be with us in person, but also to continue with us on that journey to health equity and prosperity. One of the things that we are aiming to do is create meaningful dialogue and 5 million conversations about equity. So you can connect with us on social media to participate in that or other ways that we're engaging with folks on a variety of topics where hashtag or handle 100MLives. We're on Facebook. We are sponsoring a thunderclap, which is something you can sign up for on your social media site. Facebook or Twitter or Tumblr, I believe, that once you sign up, we'll be sending um, the, the website sends an automatic message about the importance of health equity. That'll be going out next Friday afternoon, and we welcome anybody who's interested in joining with us. Um, and you can find us traveling around. Because we have a distributed leadership team, there are people working as leaders in the movement all around the world, um, and many of us get on a plane and, and travel around. Show must doubt, especially. I'm sure many of you on the line have connected with her. She's in San Francisco today. And, of course, we're at other partner events. We're at the IHI Forum. We're at the American Public Health Association meeting. And uh, if I have it mentioned anything, if any of us have that's piqued your interest, there's probably a way to get involved, and we would welcome the opportunity to talk with you about how to do that in a way that feels meaningful to you and allows you to lift up your work to make it more connected and more visible as we're on this journey together. That's great. Thanks. A wealth of opportunities and a wealth of resources. This is great, Marianne. Thank you very much. Um, now we're going to turn to our chat, and I have a couple questions I've jotted down that hopefully we can get started with. But, but John, could you remind the listeners how to participate in the chat today? Yeah, if you're uh, chatting in a question or comment, make sure that your uh, comments are directed to all participants in the Send To Bar over in the chat. Great. Thank you very much. Um, Marianne, I want to start with you, and then Drew and Shanika, I'm going to turn to you for a quick question. Uh, Marianne, a lot of our listeners represent healthcare organizations. That's really the, what makes up the, the base of our WIHI listeners. And how would you say that this movement, 100 Million Health Alliance, how is it most relevant to them? Yeah, I think it's relevant in a few ways. Laura certainly described sort of the most formal way that we're engaging with healthcare systems as systems through this, this hub of leaders um, in the health systems transformation hub who are thinking deeply about how does a healthcare system move along a journey from thinking about um, health of of my patient population to true population health, to being a part of a community of solutions. Um, but there are also ways that individual members of healthcare systems, healthcare practitioners, um, are engaging within their communities, both wearing their, wearing their white coats, if that's what they have, um, but to be in communities, being a part of connecting with school systems, being a part of multi-sector community teams, helping to be a part of the dialogue and the work in meaningful ways. So some of that is is happening through specific issue areas, like through the opioid crisis. Some of that is happening through the health systems transformation hub. And some of that is happening through the individual passions of healthcare, um, healthcare leaders and practitioners. Great. Great. Thank you very much. Great answer. Um, and, and Drew and Shanika, I want to turn back to you guys. You told such a nice story at the beginning. Um, so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what's next for you guys. Where, where do you hope this work goes? What's the next project? How do you see the, the community progressing as, as you continue this work? Sure. I think, I think Shanika highlighted a little bit with our – well, we got a lot of projects, but <laughs> – <laughs> Um, yeah, we're just excited and we're just getting ourselves involved in a lot of stuff. But I think when it comes to uh, um, uh, high school kids, it comes to, you know, pro providing equity in the next generation, starting with food justice and food access, um, we believe that the engagement of the, of the kids are there and now we have the engagement of the decision makers. So 
So our next project now is to market um, and to educate and to and to provide opportunities um, for our high school kids to to um, enjoy healthy breakfast and healthy lunch, um, and hopefully take that home with them and take those ideals home with them, persuade their parents to serve healthier meals at home. Um, I think it starts it starts where they are they spend most of their time, which is in school. Um, so we're, we're actively engaged in all three high schools that we serve have a multitude of options for the high school students to eat healthier, but also for the kids to actually know what they're eating and like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it, it started with that grab. It started with one grab and go salad bar, and we proved we disproved the myth that they did not want it. They do want it. So now we're looking to enhance that, and the fact that we have the people who made those decisions a part of it. Has, has allowed us to scale it up um, tremendously. That's great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Shanika, is there anything you would add to that? I want to add that um, in the future, you know, one of the biggest challenges we have is also with the businesses, surrounding businesses um, that sell, um, you know, the junk food that's cheaper, that the students, that the students go to, you know, after they throw away the whole grain, you know, macaroni and cheese. So, you know, at some point, you know, after we really developed our messaging and um, we've gotten the right people involved to somehow connect with those businesses and say, you know, this is our community. This is important to us. How can we work together so that, you know, you're not selling to our youth at lunchtime? You know, this. I, would, I won't call it junk, but this junk. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's really something that um, is important to me personally as a person in this community. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you guys very much. Um, I, I want to turn to a question that came up on the chat here, and, and Marianne and Laura, I'm going to reach out to you for answers on this one. Um, a listener lives in Arizona where our political structure is engaged and supportive with health care needs of underserved. So it's a bit easier here, she's saying, than in political systems that are less engaged. So what are other ways that locations can approach this uh, that you guys have seen perhaps without, without sort of state uh, and local government support? Laura, I'd welcome your insight on this one, yeah. Absolutely, and I see that Shoma's chatting in too. Thank you, Shoma. Um, you know, I, uh, I've i had probably some of the greatest successes working with communities to promote health, well-being, and equity where there is seemingly not the political will to do so. And that might sound counterintuitive. Um, much of my work, for example, and I love my friends in Texas, I, I will point out that, you know, to be on Medicaid in Texas is a challenging thing, and you have to make a very, 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 very little amount of money to be eligible. And yet I've worked with so many communities in Texas where realizing that the policies are not indeed in the favor of those who are most under-resourced and marginalized, that community leaders engage and say, okay, Regardless of my role, what can I do to promote health, well-being, and equity? So really developing coalitions, whether they be formal or informal, that engage meaningfully community-based organizations like YMCAs and federally qualified health centers and mental health organizations, faith leaders, business community leaders, healthcare, obviously, uh, schools, and students never underestimate the power of our students. Um, engaging them, no matter the political climate, I have been able to be very fortunate, accompany them on their journey, and see them really putting a dent in um, and improving upon the health outcomes. So hopefully that answers partly your question. Hey, Laura, can I add to that? Yeah. Please do. Sorry, I just... Go for it. So real quick, I think, I think, especially for policymakers, they need to see the win-win situation. Um, I think there's a bright spot. I'm, I'm going to really enjoy to see how it works, and that's in Philadelphia, uh, with the, uh, the, one, the one cent tax on sugary beverages, eight ounces and above. Um, this thing that in Illinois, if they enacted that here in the state of Illinois, a million dollar new stream for the state, um, which can actually help close Medicaid, uh, Medicaid gaps, which indeed provide more community, community benefit money from hospitals. Um, so it's definitely a, a domino effect 
if you take one percent, I'll take one cent tax on sugary beverages. And I think, um, at least in Illinois, that's a, that's a, that's a bipartisan um, policy that um, hopefully will be enacted. And I think we should watch Philadelphia really closely as a bright spot in that. And I can't imagine why that should not be adopted um, nationwide. So, great, great addition. Thank you very much, Drew. Um, I want to highlight one thing from the chat that came in, a question that some others might have, and um, whether 100 Million Healthier Lives is a global initiative. Uh, and Shoma, thanks for chatting in that it is a global initiative. Uh, and again, the, the, the map, 100mlives.org backslash map, uh, shows you where everyone is. People, organizations, systems adopt the goal and then develop a plan to improve the lives that they reach. So um, again, it is it is a global initiative. Uh, I want to turn back to you, Laura. You've you've had a long uh, sort of career, a lot of, a lot of uh, a lot of work in this area, um, and and I'm wondering why did you why do you feel like the time was ripe for 100 million healthier lives? So so obviously this is you know unprecedented. This is a, a huge collaboration, but it's certainly not the first time somebody had this idea. So so why do you think the time was was ripe now for this kind of a movement? I'm smiling in part that um, you started this, but you've been doing this work for a long time. Yeah, yeah. As, soon, as soon as I said that, as soon as I said that, I wish I'd started the question in a different way. But we're all friends here. <laughs> yes, I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing you. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing that truly jumps out at me, and you know, I truly believe we all hold the piece of the puzzle, and. I have had the good fortune to be doing this, and yet my strength has never been improvement science. And I've looked at IHI and others through the years, and my gosh, I wish I could learn with and from them. And when I got the phone call from Shoma Stout and Yinyan Lewis about two years ago, maybe, I want to say, um, telling me about sort of their vision, and it wasn't even called 100 Million Healthier Lives yet, but just like really how can IHI and others more meaningfully engage communities, I jumped up and down for joy. I mean, I really became cheery. I'm like, this is it. This is the time. <laughs> we, we need, I can help communities a lot with leadership development and community organizing. I cannot, although today much better than I could two years ago, help them with improvement. And the improvement science coming together with community organizing and leadership development is why I think that 100 Million Lives is extra, extra special. And bringing all these people from around the world who are committed to health, well-being, and equity and stating that equity is the price of admission, we want to close that gap, we don't want to perpetuate that gap, just the vision, the leadership, the commitment to, again, our friends and colleagues at IHI and beyond. There are amazing organizations, amazing people, amazing systems, amazing communities really committed to reaching this bold and audacious goal, 100 million by 2020. So that to me, uh, the improvement science piece and why is the time right that we, it, it is a movement, we have momentum and we are committed to really actively pursuing 100 million by 2020. Thanks. That's great. Thank you very much. And I also just want to call out the, the comment from Melissa Baker here who chimed in on the answer as well. I thought it was great. I feel like the time is right now because the Affordable Care Act led to a larger focus on prevention. The cost of health care became increasingly hard to ignore. And the science behind the impact of the social determinants of health on health costs, outcomes, et cetera, is growing. Um, just really spot on with that answer. I think that was great, Melissa. So thank totally you. Totally spot on, Melissa. It's great to see your chat, Melissa. Hi. Uh, so I, I want to uh, give Drew and Shanika a chance to um, chime in. Shoma provided a nice answer in the chat as well. But about the question um, about uh, adopting healthy food choices in the cafeterias. So so uh, listener writes in, how can we approach and engage county-managed elementary schools to do this? So if you could, again, just highlight one or two of the sort of the, the key things that helped you guys do that uh, in Chicago. Well, um, two things is, is engaging people with lived experience. Um, so it's not us. It's not Proviso Partners for Health. It's not Loyola. Um, it's the kids. The kids wanted it. Um, so first thing we do is we find kids. They're not, they're not too hard to find. And we teach them and we train them. And we get them motivated and get them activated. Who wants this? And they're the ones that were the catalyst. So when, when it was us 
speaking, saying we wanted it. Never, nothing happened. When the kids you know, started their clubs and got more involved in Lunch Bunch and actively acted and did taste testings, all of a sudden stuff started to happen. So, yeah, I, w- I, would, I, think, I think we make, you know, I think we all do this. We, we automatically focus in on the decision makers. Um, when it's not the decision makers, it's, it's getting the people they serve to be the ones that say they actively want it. So that I think for me that was that was the turning point, and that's obviously um, um, engaged people live experience is the is the cornerstone of what 100 million lives is all about. Great, thank you for that, Drew. Uh, just the, the last couple of questions here, and, and I want to call out a, a very timely one from Michael Cohen. Uh, and Marianne, I'm going to turn to you for this. Uh, if there's a, a change from a Democratic to a Republican administration. Are there concerns, and if so, is there any strategic campaign among U.S. participants uh, to sustain and expand this program? And, and sort of an add-on to that, how are you mobilizing leaders to, leaders to assure that a focus on well-being and equity is sustained? Yeah, thanks for the softball question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and Shoma, thanks for what you chatted in in reference to uh, partners in 100 Million who have created policy statements and reached out to, to both campaigns around the importance of assuring well-being, um, no matter what may happen in and after November. Um, I think that one of the things that we've learned is that the, the desire for an initiative and a movement around a true transformation to, towards meaningful health, meaningful well-being, and equity isn't just something that a few people decided might be a good idea. There was a, there was a groundswell from the leaders who came together to create this initiative that this was something that needed to happen. Not, not just because it was a warm and fuzzy thing to do, but because, because people are dying. <laughs> because, because people are not thriving. Because people's lives are not getting better. And some of what we've been learning as we've gone is that putting a focus on some of those key questions is uniting. And indeed, um, the initiative that we're a part of for health equity and prosperity is very much focused on how do we create conversations about equity that engage people, that unite people, that connect us, that help us recognize that um, someone not thriving affects me, that we are truly interconnected. And we hope that some of the types of conversations that we might create and facilitate and that might happen on the ground uh, transcend politics with and I don't mean that in a Pollyanna-ish way but in a, in a way that allows those connected conversations to happen and we invite people to help us be a part of that solution um, both in creating dialogue around well-being and equity in general and in taking action in meaningful areas in in the ways that are near and dear to you and to your community. Great answer. Thank you very much, Marianne. I'm going to turn to uh, the guests to give their final thoughts in, in just a moment. But before we get to that, John, a quick a quick message from you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mike. Um, you know, even if this is your first WIHI, uh, we hope you know about our commitment to patient safety here at IHI. Um, with today's shrinking healthcare budgets and growing focus on costs, it's never been more important to have a robust safety plan in your hospital. And that means having folks on the front line who know how to maintain a strong and effective safety program. That's why we're proud to offer the Patient Safety Executive Development Program. I know that's a mouthful, but it brings together experienced clinicians from the U.S. and around the world with trusted IHI faculty. Now in its 14th year, the concepts taught in this program are informed by IHI's deep experience in guiding organizations in their patient safety improvement efforts. We're going to be hosting that here in Cambridge, uh, the Patient Safety Executive Development Program, this September right here at IHI. And for more information, please visit IHI.org slash Patient Safety Executive. Back to you, Mike. Thank you, John. Uh, so great chat today, great presentation, great comments, really interesting stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn um, now to each of the uh, experts, our, our, our wonderful guests here, to um, give us some closing thoughts. And Laura, I know that uh, you have to run to uh, probably, probably something related to all this work. So let me turn to you first and um, share your closing thoughts. Thank you so much. I think really what I want, you know, what stands out to me is I'm listening to Marianne and Drew and Shanika and reading the chat. Um, I, I, and, and Shoma put it so well, um, what we are doing transcends a political agenda. And I am a lobbyist in recovery, 
Um, I have been around the block doing this work for longer than I'd like to admit. Thanks for to Michael for pointing that out. Um, <laughs> I I encourage and invite you to join 100 million to check out the Pathway to Paysetter program. If it doesn't seem like it's the best fit for you, although I think that some of you on the call would greatly benefit, pass it on to others in your community. Pass it on to others within your organization. I really think if you're committed to promoting health, well-being, and equity, a key is bringing improvement science together with community organizing and leadership development. And the Pathway to Pace Center program is so all about that. And 100, we are so fortunate to be all part of 100 Million Healthier Lives and learning with and from one another. And I just want to thank you so much for your time. With that, I'll pass it back to you. Thank you, Laura. Thanks for your contributions today. Drew and Shanika, I want to give you both uh, a chance to just uh, wrap up with some closing thoughts about the, the great work you're doing out there. Hi, this is Shanika, and I just want to say, um, start out by saying thank you um, to the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, thank you to IHI and all of the wonderful people um, that are doing this work. As a community champion, my background was in psychology and education. And so I got involved just because of my presence in the community. But um, as a result of Chila and the wonderful, and I cannot say this enough, just hopeful experience that I've had, seeing people from around the country, different backgrounds, different races, but we, are, we all care about our youth. We all care about the health of our country. And just being involved in a movement like this has just totally um, just changed my view of, um, you know, so many things about what's going on in this country, and it's given me so much hope. And so I'm very uh, just honored to be part of this movement. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks for your contributions. Drew, um, your closing thoughts. Yeah, so um, well, thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, um, W-I-H-I. Um, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so healthcare delivery is providing uh, folks like Shanika and I with opportunities to be job creators, um, providing us with opportunities to uh, sustain our community, sustain our neighborhood, decrease violence, to provide better food options, um, to provide higher levels of education. And that's through the, the beautiful opportunity of healthcare. Um, it's up to us, and I think someone talked about preventative. Uh, healthcare costs, uh, you know, where obviously most people know healthcare costs are uh, closing up in 20% of our GDP now. Um, so we talk about, you know, the negative side of what we see about it. We're seeing that. It's up to us um, to provide that prevention. Um, it's up to us to show that the hard work that went into the Affordable Care Act is not only, you know, increasing the amount of people that's insured, but it's also lowering the cost to insurers and to hospitals. Um, and, and, and I think we need to take that on us. It's not, it's not just a, um, a single focus anymore. I think we all need to be involved in that, and I'm just happy to be a part of that, a part of that now. We matter, and we do matter in the, in the health, health and well-being of our nation. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Drew. And Marianne, I'll turn to you for uh, the wrap. Thanks, Mike. I guess I will wrap with, with a note of gratitude and of invitation. Um, I have been with 100 Million Healthier Lives in, in this job that I'm so lucky to have for about nine months, and I came here from a belief that this is the real thing in terms of like a real opportunity to make this change, walking the talk, doing this in a real way, and, and my experience has I, – I still – I continue to believe that and believe that more. I am so grateful for the opportunity to be in community with people like Drew and Shanika and Laura, and I could go on and on and on, and it mentioned that it brings me joy in work. It brings me joy in life. My seven-year-old and my four-year-old can tell you that I work on 100 Million Healthier Lives <laughs> because that's what I talk about, and it, it matters, and it's meaningful. And so I invite anybody to you know connect more with us, to consider challenging us on some of these questions. We don't want people who are just totally on the bandwagon. We also want people who say, but what about this, and, and how about that, and have you considered this, and this is where I'm stuck. So, so with gratitude for the opportunity and the moment, a recognition that we've got some really tough challenges ahead of us, that we will be joyful as we go there, and an invitation to be on the journey with us. 
Thank you. Thank you for that. And a big thank you to our today's audience and today's guests, including our chat guests. WIHI will be back to its bi-weekly schedule in September. We're hard at work on several shows, so keep an eye out for new content around topics like equity and electronic health records. A reminder that you can download the chat and any slides we use for our discussion today when you log off. Look for that option, and we'd very much appreciate your filling out a brief survey that will pop up. We want to know what worked for you today and how to continue to make WIHI a better program. Check out the archive pages for WIHI where you'll find an audio download of this program plus all the resources posted by tomorrow morning. You can also find the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. Subscribe under Institute for Healthcare Improvement and if you like what you hear, we'd love if you'd write a review. Any questions whatsoever, info at IHI.org is the address. Feel free to suggest future show topics as well. The people who make WIHI possible are Matt Morse, Jameson Case, Vicki Minden, Jane Rosner, Val Weber, and Haley Ladd. Thanks also to Katie McCormick and Stephanie Gary Garfunkel for their help on Twitter today. For the Institute uh, for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Mike Britton. Wherever you are, have a great day.